What is going on, friends of the Rockney cast? For this particular episode, we're going to cover Ukraine. Why? We're going to cover all aspects of the Ukraine war that the United States is currently involved in. And I'll provide a little background as to why I'm focusing on Ukraine. This is a topic that um, a buddy of mine have had kind of an ongoing back and forth in terms of some of my previous podcasts on the Ukraine war, and in particular, the United States active involvement in the war. That is, yes, I think we're already engaged with war with Russia, something that we have not done ever, and we are currently engaging in war with the nuclear armed power, a hot war, for the first time ever. And my friend disagrees with me. So I thought it'd be a good idea to kind of outline, you know, when you uh, get together with someone who disagrees with you. And by the way, I have an enormous amount of respect for this guy. Extremely well-read. In fact, the origins of my friendship with him are these sorts of conversations where we disagree on topics, but we can kind of thoughtfully engage. And he's very well read. He just he just doesn't say like, oh my God, I I saw I seen this on Fox News. So this is what my position is here. I seen it on the internet, you know, while he's smoking a cigarette at the bar. What the hell? No, he is extremely well read. Enormous amount of respect for his positions. And he disagrees with me, which is okay. Um, guess what? Rocky Cole does not know everything. I know a lot of you friends who regularly tune in think that I do, but I don't. So I thought it'd be helpful. Um, we're going to get together this weekend and drink a few brews and discuss a little Ukraine war. Hey, at least we're not discussing COVID policy anymore. Um, that might be helpful to outline what my position is, what it is not, and to get into this question of why, uh, because why, why, why we are engaging in the current war that we are, and a lot of you may be saying we're not engaged in war because there's no combat troops troops that are currently in the Ukraine fighting. We don't have airplanes that are engaging Russian airplanes. We don't have combat troops that are launching mortars into Russia. So first off, Cole, you're just completely wrong. We're not there. And this gets into a question of, um, at various times, the Russian diplomats have talked about um, that we are engaged in the hot war. And, and we are, by virtually every definition. Yes, it's accurate that we do not have ground troops there. Um, but we currently have a situation where um, we are in war with um, Russia, a nuclear armed power, in nearly every respect that you could do in terms of being engaged in war, with the exception of, of course, combat troops, which is a big one, which is what usually drives people into the streets which of course our government knows that. But yes, I think we are engaged in war and why? Uh, because not only was it disclosed in the recent leaks with Jack Teixeira, 
or TechShare, whatever his name was. The United States is currently funding uh, operations of the Ukraine government. We are also supplying Javelin missiles. We are coordinating with other NATO countries to provide warplanes, providing ammunition. Intelligence is being shared. Uh, I believe that there are various coordinations in terms of the technology that is available to the United States government and coordinating with the Ukrainian military in terms of positions, battle tactics. And in fact, uh, when Jack Teixeira was recently arrested, he was the Pentagon leaker from Maine. And uh, I think it was the Massachusetts Air National Guard. Uh, one of the key things that the government had said was, is he's disclosed methods and people whose lives are currently at risk. And the thought process was, at least a couple of weeks ago, that this could change the battlefield tactics of the Ukrainian military based upon the disclosure of what was on U.S. military computer hardware. And so we are engaged in war. And if you look in the history of providing arms to a state has nearly always been the precipitating factor. So you can come back and say, no, Cole, under international law, the definition of war means that you have to have a combat, as it were, combat troops deployed. And without that, you're not engaged in war. See, I went to the Harvard School of Diplomacy. Uh, in fact, I'm a Princeton graduate, and I studied in the Woodrow Wilson School of Diplomacy. And I am from Princeton, you're from Luther College, so who the hell are you to talk about that while we're on Marshall's Vineyard? And my response to that is for the Woodrow Wilson. I'm kind of down on Woodrow Wilson lately. I, I, I frankly hate Woodrow Wilson's guts. I think he's a total racist. He's a KKK. I think he was a KKK guy and uh, engaged in horrible policy leading up to World War I, but also uh, post-World War I. Treaty of Versailles, I think, was the proximate cause of World War II. And it was easily foreseeable. I, I think one can argue that had the Treaty of Versailles not been designed in the way that it was, it would never have allowed the political conditions to arise for someone like Hitler that is at the feet of Woodrow Wilson. And this is at the feet of him. So you look at this question of whether we are already engaged in war with the biggest nuclear armed power in the world and one of the biggest conventional militaries in the world. The answer is, is even if we don't meet the technical definition, which I think we are, um, yeah, we are. And if you look at the history of military engagements, most of the time it does not start with just someone just attacking someone out of the blue. So for example, Woodrow Wilson experts in World War One. The Lusitania was attacked, and it had civilians on it. And who was it attacked by? It was attacked by Germany, by the Kaiser. And we had, were in outrage as to the fact that they would attack a civilian ship. And of course, it was wrong to kill innocent civilians. But what was on the Lusitania? There was arms and military equipment that was being provided to 
England and France. And so this is one of the things that when you are claiming neutrality, but actively in involving someone else, um, the person that is on the opposing side, which remember, this is the relevant question, back to these Woodrow Wilson experts. The question when you're engaged in war, whether you meet the technical definition, is not some abstract definition, but what does the counterparty think as to what you're doing? I think that's the issue. So when you're discussing whether we're engaged in war, there's really only one definition that matters, and the question is, is Russia, not because Russia has the moral high, high ground, but because their position is, is that we are, by every metric, NATO and the United States, they're providing military expertise, military training, they're coordinating battlefield tactics, they're, they're providing Javelin missiles, they're providing Patriot missiles, they're providing um, airplanes. We are in war. And they have identified it as such. Now, why? Now, let me undermine my own credibility a little bit. Um, the two twin concerns I have with NATO are, and with our current policy is that I think it unnecessarily exposes us to risk, um, both as to a nuclear exchange. And two, it has not been clearly identified how engaging in war with Russia over the eastern provinces of Ukraine is going to make the United States more economically resilient, safer, and also relates to this question of um, the risk of a nuclear exchange. I mean, what percentage, and that's not been identified, in terms of a nuclear exchange, what percentage more are we currently facing on annihilation as a civilization based upon, in my view, a totally unnecessary war as to our involvement in the Ukraine? So here I want to clarify for my friend and for members of the Rockne cast as to what my policy is not in terms of my opinion. I am not same. So, you know, when we have arguments, I do this too, you do this, we all do this. When you have a debate with someone, you kind of identify what are called straw men arguments. They're kind of easy to knock down. And those are easy to knock down, but not necessarily my actual position. So my position is not that Ukraine as a nation state does not have the right to defend itself. Clearly, it does. My question is, my position is not that Russia is acting perfectly here and that they are acting in a way that's consistent with international law. So I am not making that claim as well. Although, during the Cold War, let me remind you, one of Russia's stated positions, which has been argued as a fantastical position, that it's just, it's a pretext, and they don't really believe this, which is after the fall of the Soviet Union, and you can go and look this up, Russian state, after the collapse occurred, how was it that they basically let all 15 Soviet republics go without a shot? Yes, 
they were at a stage of collapse and they really weren't in a position to negotiate. But there was a functioning military that was in play. Various assurances were given that the NATO in those republics, Estonia, Lithuania, Ukraine, um, Kazakhstan, would not be subject to NATO expansion. That was a promise. In fact, that was the linchpin. Essentially, they would maintain neutral status. And of course, to some degree, for the most part, they're going to be engaged in, in policies relating to Russia. I think Russia kind of viewed that once they reemerged, that they would then interact with these states. But that was one of the key promises that was given. And at some point, NATO said, okay, well, we're going to expand into Estonia. Okay, how does that make us safer? Latvia, how does that make us safer? United States, Lithuania, how does that make us safer? None of this makes any sense to me. And they did that over and over and over again. And Russia kept on saying no. And don't do that. You're getting too close to our borders. And this is, again, identified as a straw argument. Oh, they don't really believe that. They're just trying to grab power and territory and they're not acting in their own self-defense. But remember the Cuban Missile Crisis, how the United States responded when we found out there were nuclear missiles at our doorstep. What was the United States policy in Latin America and South America throughout virtually all of the 20th century um, relating to communist Soviet expansion in that block? It was active patrol, repulsion, and eviction of anyone who was associated with the Soviet Union, with the exception of four years of Jimmy Carter, where he's kind of weak-kneed. And that was our policy. What is the Monroe Doctrine? Okay, this is a linchpin of the United States foreign policy going back to James Monroe, fifth president of the United States, which is European powers have no business in any part of the Americas, Central America, and North America. That's been the United States policy since the founding. And in fact, at one point during the Cuban Missile Crisis, one of the uh, uh, Kennedy's advisors talked about the Monroe Doctrine. And, you know, look, we've all learned that in like elementary school, the Monroe Doctrine. And Kennedy basically told us, oh, fuck, go fuck yourself. We're not, we're not arguing high school civics, right? Uh, but that was, even during the Cuban Missile Crisis, that was something that was kind of identified as a basis to repel the Soviet um, missiles there in Cuba. So if you look at literally the last 230 years, the United States has been very clear that foreign powers, especially when they get close to our borders, uh, we will actively repel uh, those threats, especially if they're hostile to our interest. And as it applies to, this, to Russia, NATO traditionally has been hostile to its interest. So I tend to give greater weight to that proffered reason and don't think it's merely protectual. But to answer my friend's question, in terms of what my policy, I am not saying that Ukraine does not have a right to uh, defend itself. I am not making that claim. So anything along those lines is just kind of a red herring because I'm not making that claim. What I want my friend to answer, and hopefully writ large, is 
why the United States is engaging in an increase in the risk of both a conventional as well as a nuclear exchange with the Soviet, with Russia. Uh, and to me, it's an unnecessary risk because it is a regional conflict. Now, for those that have tried to respond to that have said, it is not a regional conflict, that it is the Munich argument, that if you don't stop Russia and Vladimir Putin in the Ukraine, they will all of a sudden reach the gates of Berlin and that we're going to go exactly back to where we were before. And that is essentially going to be what's happening. Now, here gets to the larger issue as to whether that, because to me, that's the only basis which makes sense. We are signatories to NATO, right? We have done that. But to me, and, and, and now, even now, it seems like NATO, without almost any debate, is going to incorporate Ukraine. And if once once we incorporate Ukraine into NATO, we're engaged in a war with Russia. And this gets to the larger question, especially as it relates to Tucker Carlson's uh, firing, is if you look, go on, just do a new experiment with me, friends, of the Rockney cast, and go on to any of the major news outlets, CNN, now even Fox News, MSNBC, NBC News, CBS, ABC, NPR, uh, the debate shows, or any of the national media outlets that we trust, is there a serious debate going on at all? As far as I can tell, and correct me if I'm wrong, there have been virtually no, virtually no national figures that have questioned what in the hell we're doing. And there's no debate, as far as I can tell. And Tucker Carlson was one of the last people, as far as I can tell, vigorously asking, why is the United States there to the tune of $100 billion? Now, a lot of you may be responding who have been looking at this issue are saying, Cole, you're kind of a you're kind of a wimp. You know, you you've had you've had two big arguments that you've that you've talked about. One is that we're very close to a hot war with Russia, number one. Uh, and number two, you're 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 kind of this wimp and you're kind of a pussy you're, you're, you're claiming that there's going to be a nuclear exchange and they've been engaged in war since essentially ukraine and russia since february of 2022 and we haven't had a nuclear exchange yet therefore at least so far the conventional exchange has not materialized so your predictions have proven wrong number two your in terms of conventional, and there has not been nuclear exchange. And also, number two, there has not been any conventional exchange between Russia and uh, Ukraine. Now, that's true. But if you look at the time frame in terms of how long historically it takes, when you, that it takes for when one party is arming another party already engaged in a hot conflict 
how long does it take before there are actual boots on the ground? Now, I'm not going to cite, you know, some loser academic study from someone from, you know, this is what you do when you get your PhD thesis. You're like, okay, what's the average, you know, wait time between when you start arming someone and someone's engaged in, in, a, in a hot conflict? Not going to do that. But, but I will use Vietnam as an example because I think this is an example. This is going to get as to one of the reasons why I think the, the, the left is so intellectually bankrupt. In Vietnam, the United States, if, you know, we were starting to get with the conclusion of uh, the fall of the Nguyen Phu in 1954, up until the Gulf of Tonkin, which I believe was in 1964, just after the 64, 65, I believe it was 64, there was a period of about 10 years where certainly by the mid-1950s, <clears throat> diplomatically, the United States had taken one of the primary roles in relation to at least South Vietnamese. And I believe that the, the treaty that set the 17th par parallel was somewhere in 1955, 1956, or thereabouts. And from that time frame up until 1965, there was a clear progression of buildup where no one was debating what our Vietnam policy was. And more importantly, when did it really get on our public radar after we did have this uh, buildup in South Vietnam? 1965, 1966, you don't see a lot. On, the hippies weren't marching in the streets and these sorts of things. It took four to six years after there was actual combat boots on the ground to for the for the public basically saying what are we doing so the fact that nothing has happened so far doesn't necessarily mean that if you look at nearly every armed conflict the united states has been in going back to even I mean, heck even you look back to the revolutionary war there was a period of 10 to 15 years where there was agitation and we were leading up to that. The world in civil war, there was a period of 30 to 40 years after the compromise of 1820, right? Where there was kind of a distinct buildup. And similarly, in this case, as it applies to Ukraine, there Russia has said, we believe that you're engaged in a hot conflict already. We are providing arms. There already is a hot conflict between Ukraine. Tens of thousands of people are dying, and we're supplying that. So this gets back to the question of the why. Why isn't there virtually any debate? And one of the interesting things, and, and I, I freely admit that I could be wrong, but one of the interesting things about where we're at at this point, you know, when I go on walks in my hometown, I see a lot of Ukraine flags and you see it in homes of, you know, kind of peaceniks, you know, these people that are like, I believe in all people and I, I believe in all flags. And, you know, so I sort of wonder when you have those Ukraine flags, of course, we support the people of Ukraine 100%, but, but, the, but the related question as to the Ukraine flag, do you support the United States policy to this? Because right now we're, we're prolonging the war and leading to essentially a World War I type stalemate. And 
I, I, it just, that makes zero sense to me. Um, and there's been seemingly no debate on that. Uh, there's not a declaration of war. And it was one thing if we're providing those kind of funds, but the other thing that, thing that Biden has done uh, is that they've said this thing, liberals have figured out that you got to have the same phrase because Republicans have done it for so long. So what they say is, we will support Ukraine as long as it takes. So here's Kamala, Kamala Harris say, long as it takes. And, and, and then the second thing is, they have not defined what they're pressuring Ukraine to do and not do. Now, there's been some indication that uh, Ukraine has, you know, obviously they're saying don't use it as against Russian territory because even Biden figures out, I mean, there you are. I mean, they're going to retaliate. And they already have done that to some degree. But there's been no public expression as to what strings, what the United States is wants in an end conflict. Now, you may say, oh, well, you're so ignorant. There's a lot of behind the scenes thing going. True. But when you're talking about the public writ large, you have a duty to clearly articulate the policy. And they have not done that yet as to why we are there. They have not done that. And so my question for my friend is, hopefully he's listening this far, is this Ukraine war so important that we, he, me, our sons, our daughters, I mean, he has one, well, I don't want to get too personal, but our kids, us, whoever, is this war significant enough such that we are willing to put our life on the line? That, to me, is the question. Now, in World War II, especially as applies to you know, very hostile nationalist powers like the, the fascists in Tokyo, the fascists in Germany, the fascists in Italy, hostile, aggressive, violent. Yeah, I mean, I think if we didn't go to war, I don't know what other choice we really had. You know, you know, civil war, yeah, there were a lot of people saying that if we don't stop the South, we're not going to have a freaking country and the whole thing's going to dissolve. I mean, there was a direct national interest. So are we willing to do that? Number of, so, so, so basically, I'll just pose a set of questions. One, are we willing to lay down our life for Ukraine? Because that's essentially what we're doing when we are engaging in a hot war with Russia, number one. Number two, educate me on whether you're aware of any sources, because you've done a lot of reading on this, any sources identifying the risk of nuclear exchange, how much higher it is by reason of the United States involvement as it applies to Ukraine? That's number two. How much higher is it? Is it zero? Is it less? Is it more? Answer that. My gut tells me that it's higher. The question is, is how much? And number three, and here be very specific, what would happen if we didn't support Ukraine in the form of military assistance? Because of course I support the humanitarian assistance, of course. And Ukrainians, defend your country to the nth degree. 
your country, you can decide that. Um, but, but I do want, by the way, I want Ukrainian troops here defending our country if we ever have to go to war. Uh, you know, that's what that's my demand of you. What is if 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 we stop arming them, and essentially Russia would almost unquestionably win. Now, would they take over the whole country? That's kind of hard to say. But what would happen if we did? My guess is that one deal that you, you, that Putin would take in a second is NATO essentially agrees not to expand anymore, especially in the Ukraine. Ukraine would be able to have some residual self-defense capability, right? And that essentially these Donetsk and Luhansk provinces would have to be incorporated into Russia. So there would be some loss of territory. But my guess is right now you could have peace in Ukraine right now if you had that. And you would then lower the risk. And then, of course, there would have to be some issues about who pays for what and immunity and these sorts of things. But is there any clear answer there in terms of what would happen? And the only thing I can tell is they cite Munich of 1938. That's their argument. And at the very least, don't you think there should be a debate on this? Where's the debate? I'm not seeing any debate at all questioning the Ukraine policy. And educate me if I'm wrong. The last person that I saw that did question this has been removed. And some reporting has indicated, this Tucker calls Carlson, that Fox removed him from his show, and at the same time is going to keep him from uh, electing, you know, or or being in the political process until 2024. So in other words, they do not want Donald Trump to win. And I think Donald Trump's policy is somewhat consistent with, with Tucker's in the sense that I don't know if Tucker would support Donald or not. But there has to be at least one candidate that says, what in the hell are we doing there? Why? And can you articulate that? That has not been done. And then finally, this is kind of most gross, and I think just demonstrates the, um, so So, do you really think that if we don't support, so my friend, that if you don't support the war in Ukraine, that they will be invading Eastern Europe, that they will be invading Berlin, that they will be invading France? I think that possibility is so catastrophically low. There's no, Putin is not an idiot. There's no circumstance under which Europe would, would lose to Russia in a conventional war at this point. They would not lose. And uh, yeah, they went to create a nuclear exchange, but neither would Russia. And so the risk of them attacking Poland it is just catastrophically low. I mean, in first in order to be able to do that, you'd have to, you'd, you'd literally, they would have, you can't surprise Poland and if Russia is on the border of leave, the risk of that, I think, in my view, is very, very low. But that seems to be the only proffered reason that's given. And you could say, oh, well, we're just there for the right reason. No, we have to debate why we're there. And Congress has to declare war. And we have kind of an undeclared war. And no one's debating it. So these are what my concerns are. And... I, I'm hoping, I'm not going to do this in Ukraine policy all the time, but I think it's it's an interesting topic that seemingly 
Uh, even the P sticks on the left aren't questioning. And it, it's just kind of it's kind of stunning to me that there's not more debate on this particular topic, given what the stakes are. So I'm and then finally I want to I I guess I'm kind of running time on your attention span here, but in terms of this question of experts, should we trust experts? And maybe I'll reserve that for a separate issue of the Rockney cast. But I do not trust the so-called, I mean, so-called experts on Ukraine. I think these people, even, even if they're uh even if they have a PhD in Ukrainian history and Russian history, if they're in academia or if they are kind of uh you know, kind of that would they state they've read every book, but they haven't been in a bar fight. Sorry, they, they don't understand the basic elements of conflict and risk and these sorts of things. And I'll I'll talk about that in a separate podcast. But one of the other things, back to that kind of pointing question that I made, one of the things about middle middle ages foreign policy and early middle ages, and I think this has been for time immemorial, is that when Various kingdoms went to war. The king himself would engage in battle. Now, I don't necessarily know that I agree with that, but because you don't want to lose the guy that's kind of that you're 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 fighting defending the kingdom, and if the king goes, and so like for example, when the Vikings were that was kind of the Vikings, the kings would fight, and then a lot of times in a battle, if the king lost, it's like war's over. So when they started attacking England. And they would kill the king. Those 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 kingdoms would, would be able to replace it. The Vikings were like, "Hey, well, what the kind of what the deal is going on?" But one of the good parts about that was, is the decision makers had a personal stake, a personal stake, risking their life for the conflict. And here we have a situation where not only will Biden not go to war, none of his family will go to war, none of the Congress people's kids will go to war, at least that we know of, none of them have a person, none of them are gonna fight. And it's, it's, same thing is true with Dick Cheney when he went to Iraq. None of them are going to fight. None of them are gonna risk and put their money where their mouth is like the, like the kings of honor of old. And so for all of these reasons, this just seems like a grand cluster and no one's debating it. So, friend, ugh, I'm going to keep an open mind this weekend, and I'll do a follow-up episode of the Rockney Cast to see whether any of my presumptions or polemics or arguments, whether I'll read, and I will, I, I have no, I don't care if I'm wrong. So if he provides some great penetrated analysis as to why I'm wrong, I'm going to do a follow-up episode. And... We will, I'll, I'll clarify some things if I'm just mistaken. I mean, if he provides an article that says, yeah, no, I mean, it's pretty clear that if we don't defend Luhansk, Berlin's next, and it's it's all over. Peter Zion has, has made similar arguments to that, but I just don't think that anywhere, shape, or form has been closely met based upon uh, the current arguments of our incompetent leadership in Washington, and the fact that Tucker is now one of the last voices uh, that has now been removed and now is going to be kept silent is it's kind of insane. So, friends, infinite gratitude to you. We're going to continue. We're not going to always be involved in politics. 
uh, you know, anymore. We're still going to do some fun ones on health and fitness and um, life and stoicism and classics and books that I'm reading. But there's just been some big topics, and I just don't see any debate on these. So I'm gonna I'm gonna use this. You're gonna be my therapy, and I'm just gonna get this out here and put it out in the blogosphere, and hopefully we'll you know grow this audience and do give me positive uh, reviews in iTunes, Spotify, and all places where podcasts are heard. But more importantly, share it with your friends, share it with your enemies, forward it to people that you love, care about. Let's start a debate. Let's start a dialogue, and let's let's start doing what we were all educated to do, which is to ask questions and answer questions. And do it in a way that we are happy warriors with a smile on our face. Infinite gratitude to you to checking into the Rocky Cast. We'll continue to do high quality episodes until we meet again next time on the Rocky Cast.